folks next to you. We're going to say a common prayer that uh, many of you know. We usually end with it, but what a great way to begin our time together. So let's pray together. May you jump. All right, go ahead and grab a seat. There were no words on the screen, and if you're not familiar, familiar with that yet, and you thought, oh my goodness, wh where am I? They're chanting things in unison. I don't know the words. Um, it's really exciting because that benediction comes from an event called Chick, Covenant High in Christ. It happens every three years in the Covenant Church. And in 2003, I think you were the MC that year. Ephraim Smith, our speaker tonight, was the MC that whole, hold your applause, hold it. We're going to give it to him all at once. He was a speaker up there, and that was our benediction. Every session we ended with those words. And as, we were, as I was coming up, I thought, oh, that's interesting. Like, that was when that benediction arrived in our community, because I heard it for the first time. And uh, our guest who's with us this weekend was part of the team that worked with that, and he emceed and hosted and put that amazing event together. So we kind of come full circle. Um, our speaker tonight, uh, he's a brother in Christ. We love him dearly, those of us that know him. He's impacted many of your lives without you maybe even knowing it. You may have heard him before at PCC. He shared his heart with us, but um, he has something new for us this weekend, and we're going to pause, and we're going to open our hands and listen to what God has in store. Um, but would you give him a ridiculously inappropriate amount of applause? Would you welcome Ephraim Smith, our speaker? <laughs> I'm so sorry for being so overdressed, but I just came from the airport. But tomorrow, it won't be like this, I promise. It'll be like total like camp clothes. This will be cool. Um, so uh, I am just uh, honored to uh, be able to just share uh, with you over this weekend and just uh, participate in this moment of retreat and development and, and being even more rooted uh, as a church and what it means to be salt and light, uh, where, you, where you live, where you work, where you go to school, where you shop, where you hang out. An opportunity to be more rooted in God that you might be more salt and light in the world. Um, I, uh, I'm up with a ministry called World Impact, and uh, World Impact is a, an urban missions organization, and uh, we... Uh, we're about evangelism, discipleship, leadership development, church planting in uh, urban under-resourced communities around the country and around the world. And we also um, train up leaders that are incarcerated, that are in prison, that are in county jail, that they might uh, know the love of God, but know that God hasn't given up on them yet. And there's great potential in their life. And then I'm also one of the teaching pastors at um, Bayside Midtown in Sacramento. So I get to uh, preach at that covenant church uh, once a month, uh, where Bob Ballion is the uh, lead pastor there. So uh, tonight, I'm going to read to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning with verse 14. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 14. Paul is writing, and he says this to the church. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, 
that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, I want to talk to you tonight uh, on the title, The Rise of the Reconcilers. The Rise of the Reconcilers. God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be speaking. And I'm just a vehicle here uh, this weekend just to say what you want to say. And I want to be obedient to your word, and I want um, to just uh, honor your uh, beloved children, uh, my sisters and brothers that are here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, for some of you uh, tonight, you're getting to know me for the first time. So since we're going to be together this weekend, I figured I'll start out by sharing something about myself. Uh, anyone that hangs out with me for a good period of time, uh, they eventually come to the understanding that I am really into superhero movies. Yeah. Like Doctor Strange came out tonight. Yeah. Like I'm really, I'm no what? Like Doctor Strange came out tonight. And so, now, now I knew, now that we're in phase three of the Marvel film universe, I knew that back when The Incredible Hulk came out with Edward Norton Jr. playing Dr. Banner, and they had the end credit scene with Tony Stark going into the bar, you know, played by Robert Downey Jr., to see General uh, Ross at the bar and said, I can help you deal with your Hulk problem. I knew right then that was phase one of the Marvel universe that was going to go all the way to the Avengers 1, where you were going to see Captain America and Iron Man and Black Widow and Hawkeye and Thor and Hulk team up. Then you were going to go through another series of movies that was going to get you to the end of phase two, which was Avengers Age of Ultron. And then we just saw Captain America Civil War with teams with Captain America and Iron Man. And you saw Spider-Man, who's going to get a third reboot in 2017 with Spider-Man Homecoming. You also saw Black Panther, who's going to get his own movie in 2018. And then 2019 and 2020, that's going to set up Avengers Infinity Gauntlet with this and villainous Thanos trying to take over the whole universe with an infinity glove and six infinity stones. Now, not to outdo the DC universe, you might have saw Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman and cameo appearances by Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg, which is going to set up in November of next year, the Justice League. And before that, in May, Wonder Woman's going to get her own movie. I do know some stuff about the Bible, too. But I'm really, I'm really into superhero movies. I didn't know I was going to get, like, revival talking about superhero movies. But um, this really goes back to my childhood. I'm originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, but because of the winters, I now live in California. Um, 
But when I was a kid uh, growing up in Minneapolis in the summer months, that's because I'm really into comic books. And so me and my friends, we would get our comics and we would meet on the corner at the end of the block. And we would bring like our Spider-Man, our Superman, our Fantastic Four. There was even one kid that brought Archie, which really doesn't count, but we let him bring Archie. And so we brought all of our comics and we would read them and we would trade them. But there was one comic book series I would never trade. It was a Superman series. I still have this comic book series today. It's a Superman series called Bizarro World. And uh, Bizarro World story arc goes a little something like this. There's this other realm, this other place known as Bizarro. It is an evil, wicked, twisted, upside-down world. It is so twisted, so backwards, so evil that there's a person in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. And the twisted, backward, evil state of Bizarro World is threatening to invade planet Earth, specifically Metropolis. So Superman decides to make a sacrifice of himself, and he leaves Metropolis to go into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you've got to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are pretty good. I mean, great families, there's peace, there's forgiveness, people treat each other good. It's Bizarro World that is evil and twisted and backwards and upside down. But the real news is, is, is we live in Bizarro World. Actually, this world that we live in is an upside-down, twisted, sinful, broken world. Now, I know there's some places, and you may know them, where there's great communities and great schools and great families, and people treat each other well, and they respect one another, and they forgive one another, uh, but there are far too many places on this planet, far too many places not too far from us, maybe closer than we want to admit, where, where, where there's anger, where violence is the primary means to solve conflict, where, where there's unforgiveness, uh, where, where people don't like people just because of the way they look. I mean, there's, there's just too many examples that we live in kind of this twisted, backwards, upside-down world. I mean, we take love and we twist it and we turn it upside down. We take family and we twist it and we turn it upside down. We take education, we take economics, we take, just you name it, and we take it and we twist it and we break it and we distort it and we turn it upside down. But here's the good news. Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus, came into this upside-down, bizarro world. And what Jesus did, like if you were talking to somebody that, did, that doesn't know much about Jesus or about church or about the Bible and you really wanted to just give them like a simple beginning understanding of what Jesus did when he came into this upside down world, this is what he did. He gave us a picture of what this upside down world could look like if it was turned right side up again. And Jesus called that the kingdom of God. And he preached that. And he demonstrated that. Like Jesus came into an upside-down, broken world where there was violence and disease and poverty and, and, and people not treating each other well, where people were oppressing other people, where people were taking advantage of other people, where people were left to die, where people were looked down on because of what neighborhood they grew up in or what city they were from. And what Jesus did is with these upside-down lives, one by one, crowd by crowd, he gave a picture of 
of what upside-down lives could look like if they were turned right side up. And then Jesus went to the cross, and he died for our upside-down, bizarro lives. And he went in the grave for our upside-down, bizarro lives. And he rose for our upside-down, bizarro, broken lives. And one day, Jesus is going to return, and the whole universe, the whole entire world is going to be turned all the way right side up for eternity. That's what Jesus is going to do when he returns. We will be right side up people forever. We will live in a forever right side up reality. But how are we to live until then? If you consider yourself a Christian, how are we to live in this upside down bizarro world until Jesus returns? That's kind of what I want to share through these talks this weekend. That no matter if you're in high school, if you're, if, if you're uh, an adult working in a career, if you're retired, if you're in college, like what should our lives look like in an upside-down, bizarro world? I heard an old preacher once say, when Jesus returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. The way that this world is going to know the love of God, the justice of God, the truth of God, the forgiveness of God, the grace of God, the transformation of God is going to be you and I living as right-side-up people in this upside-down world, allowing God's love to flow through us. And in part, that's what Paul is writing to the church about, the church at Corinth. He's speaking to a church, a church like, like your church. And he's saying, this is how we are to live. This is who we are to be in this upside-down, broken world. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. That's where it begins. How we live our lives in this upside-down, broken world is we start by being the expression and the extension of God's love how we go to school, how we go to work, how we live in our neighborhood, how we navigate this broken, bizarro, upside-down world, how we rise up as God's reconcilers in this world, how we live as the church in this world, as we must be, this word here for controlled by, it, it means that we submit to, that we're surrounded by, that we're hedged in by, that we're empowered by God's love. Why is that important? Because as we navigate and live in this upside-down, crazy world, there are certain things that we just need God's power to do in this world. And to, and to uh, love, we need God. Because how we're transformed is God's love. You know, the Bible talks about a, a Greek word, agape. And agape, that Greek word, means the unconditional love of God. It just means no matter what you've done, how you've lived, no matter how you've treated people, no matter if you did everything that your parents told you to do or not, no matter if you did your homework on time or not, no matter if you've been the most honest person, that you've always been a person of integrity or character, that God's love anyway comes after us. That God's love anyway transforms us. That God pursues us no matter what. That's agape, the unconditional love of God upon us that transforms us in Christ Jesus no matter what. But there's another Greek word that shows up in the Bible in the New Testament. That word is agapeo. What that word, and I know it's kind of a crazy word, agapeo. What that word means is God's love upon us and flowing through us in a broken world. 
It's like I don't just keep God's love to myself. I share God's love with other people. It shows up through forgiving people, through being uh, unselfish, through, through, through my, my hospitality to people, to caring for people, and we need God to do that. To love, we need God. Now, there are certain things that I, to, I, can, I can do. I don't need God, to be honest. Like, I can dislike somebody, and I don't need God. Watch this. You, sir, I don't even like you. See how easy that was? Because I didn't need to join a small group. I didn't need to go on a retreat. I didn't need to read a book. I didn't need to go to church to do this. It's all by myself. I can just look at somebody I don't even know for no even good reason to say, I don't like you. But to love, to forgive, to be unselfish, to open up my heart, my house, my life to others that they might be transformed by God's love. I need, I need God. I thank you for letting me down. I was just playing. I don't dislike you. Maybe we can have breakfast in the morning. I'm sorry about that. All right. But, uh, but anyway, um, you get the point. that I'm, We need to be controlled by God's love. But here's, here's the next point that I want to share with you. If we are going to rise up as reconcilers, if we're going to be right-side-up people in an upside-down world, it says in verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Okay, here's... Here's the next point I want to give you. This is a great time this weekend and moving forward to have a deeper discovery of Christ. It's not just a great opportunity to be controlled, to submit to like never before God's love, but it's also a great opportunity uh, to have a deeper discovery of Christ. What does Paul mean here when he says, uh, we once regarded Christ, Jesus, according to the flesh, but we do so no longer. What does that mean? Okay, let's simplify this. There was a time in Paul's life where he saw Jesus a certain way, and then something amazing happened in his life, and then the way he saw Jesus changed. There was a time when Paul would have saw Jesus according to the flesh. What that means is he would have said, Jesus was just a guy. He was some guy that walked the earth. He said he was the son of God, he, he acted like he was a king, which doesn't make sense because I know the city he was from. And no kings come from that city. No kings come from that neighborhood. I mean, nobody special comes from the place where he grew up. I don't know why he was going around acting like he was a big deal, and I don't know why people were following him, and he irritated religious people, and, and you, you know, he really you know, disturbed political people, and so we killed him. And he's dead. Now, we don't know where the body is, but he's dead. And I don't know why, but people keep following him. That's how Paul saw Jesus. He's just like, he was an irritant. I mean, you know, he's, I mean, he did some miracles and stuff, but like we crucified him until Paul met Jesus. He meets the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, it says in the book of Acts. He meets Jesus for real, and when he has a personal connection with Jesus, he rediscovers Jesus. And then the rest of his life is like this life of daily having a deep understanding, discovery, relationship with Jesus. 
That's the opportunity we have. When you become a Christian, you haven't arrived. I mean, you, you, you become a Christian because you come to know Jesus personally. You, you accept and receive in your own life that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose. And you know that the way to, to have sin dealt with is to become a new person, is to think differently, is to, to talk differently, to, to commit to something that you can't do on your own. You needed Jesus to sacrifice and die and raise so that you could be that new person. But that's not where it ends. Every day is a day to discover more about Jesus. More about Jesus. You know, what? Here, here's something I want to give you tonight about discovering Jesus. You know, um, it, it's important to know that Jesus was and is God. Like in John chapter 1, it's like in the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And then later it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us is talking about Jesus. So ultimately, Jesus is like in the beginning with God, is God. Everything that came into being happened through him. And then, you know, like when we are in eternity, when we are in heaven, when we are in the kingdom of God one day, like we will spend eternity with Jesus. But there's also something else you might want to know about Jesus from Matthew 1, that um, Jesus, when he walked the earth, was, was like this real diverse, multi-ethnic, multicultural person. Like, if you read and study Matthew 1, you'll find that in the, in the bloodline of Jesus are the original families or the original inhabitants of what we call Israel, Palestine, uh, in his lineage are the people that now make up Iraq, uh, Ethiopia, Egypt, the Sudan, Libya. If that's all true, that means when Jesus walked the earth, he was a Jewish, Hebrew, Iraqi, Ethiopian, Sudanese, Egyptian, African, Asiatic person. I mean, he walked the earth. He was, we would have said he was a multiracial, multiethnic, multicultural person. When Jesus died on the cross, we can say that Jesus died for all of our sins because a whole lot of humanity was flowing through him. That was multiethnic, multicultural blood that hit the foot of the cross. We need to rediscover. We need a deeper discovery of Jesus, for real. Because we kind of live in a world where we still kind of present Jesus according to the flesh. I mean, we, kind of, we have a white Jesus, we, or you could have a black Jesus, you could have a Democrat Jesus, a Republican Jesus, a suburban Jesus, a Jesus is my homeboy because whatever I do, Jesus is cool with that because I know Jesus, how Jesus is, you know, or there's like the pretty Jesus. Have you ever seen the pretty Jesus? Like the picture of the pretty Jesus, like he don't have a birthmark, a mole, no acne. I'm like, what is he using on his face? He don't even have a blemish. Whoa, look at that pretty Jesus. <laughs> or are we willing to let our lives be broken? Are we willing to be humbled by, amazed by, a deeper discovery of Jesus? Now, here's the second point. If you're, if you're willing to, to, to be controlled by, to submit to God's love, if you're willing to live this daily life of a, of a deeper discovery of Jesus, then you can understand what it means in verse 16 when it says, So from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ... They are a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Here's the next point. If you're willing to submit to God's love and to live a life of discovering Jesus more deeply, you know what? That's going to lead to then you can discover who you are more deeply. The more I know about Jesus, the more I can know about who I really am. Um, uh, I've been learning a lot of stuff about my family background over the years. Uh, On my mom's side, uh, we can trace our family tree all the way back to my great-great-grandfather who was full-blooded Irish. And he married a woman who was Haitian, Cherokee Indian, and also a descendant of black slaves. I was like, wow. I mean, I get into that now. I mean, I'm Irish. I drink green Kool-Aid on St. Patrick's Day. I mean, I'm Irish. (laughs) I'm also Cherokee Indian, and I'm also Haitian. I mean, like, I've, I've got this diverse, like, background. Like, wow. Now, on my dad's side, we can trace... Our, our family tree to a guy named William Billy Smith. He was a uh, governor of Virginia. He was a U.S. senator. Uh, he fought for the Confederacy during the Civil War. Some people say he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan. How could he be in my family? Right. Well, in, in my bloodline, on my family tree, are the oppressed, the oppressor, great diversity. Maybe that's why I pastored a multiracial church for almost 10 years, because I had to, because it's who I am. Maybe the reason I lead an urban missions organization today and serve that ministry, and and I'm a part of a multiracial church in the heart of Sacramento, is because to understand my identity, to understand my purpose, The more I understood who Jesus was, the more I understood who I am. You know, um, I used to be a high school basketball coach in inner city Minneapolis. And I I met three students, a guy named Grayson, a girl named Jessica, and a girl named Danielle. And they had become Christians. And uh, they were discovering Jesus more and more. And they were only in high school. And I remember um, when I was the, the basketball coach at this high school, uh, when the season started, you know, I would, I would walk into the gym uh, for basketball practice. And I would see how I met Grayson and Jessica and Danielle as they were sitting on the floor, the three of them just holding hands with their head bowed. Now, I have to let you know that this was an inner city high school uh, we had experienced violence in the school. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, there, were, there was a student that um, was supposed to be on my basketball team, and he was shot and killed earlier in that year. Um, you know, there, there would be fights in the cafeteria, a lot of suspensions. It was kind of kind of a, a tough place. And I just remember these three students, like I would, I would go to basketball practice, and they would, three of them on the floor, just... I mean, I I couldn't hear what they were saying. They were just quietly. I mean, I understood they were praying. But then one day I I walked by and there were like 20 students. Then there were like 80. Now, when it got to 200, I don't know why, but like the, the Minneapolis newspaper like did a story on these kids. And they weren't loud or anything. They just sat on the floor and 
in the gym lobby, and they just prayed for the school. By the next year, they had formed like this group, the Patrick Henry High School Christian Club. I mean, that sounded kind of a cheesy name to me at the time, but I'm like, okay, it's a Christian club. And um, I remember they had an event after school in the auditorium, and uh, I just decided to go and just see what they were doing. And they were, this was like a public school. But what I realized is if I tried to do that as a Christian adult, the school would have been, no, you can't have a church service in the school. But these students, through their club that had been approved, had the right to reserve a room if it was open and kind of have an activity as long as it wasn't violent or doing something bad or, you know. And, and I remember, I'll never forget this, they, they had like praise and worship like we had tonight. And then Danielle spoke, and I saw gang members go down to the front of that auditorium, take their gang rags, their colors, out of their jean pockets, and fall on the floor in tears accepting Christ. I could not believe this. Now, I want to fast forward and tell you that that was 1998. In 2003, Grayson and Jessica were now married. Danielle was an adult. And they were a part of my core team when we planted Sanctuary Covenant Church. And for the first three years of our church, we met in the auditorium at Patrick Henry High School. I am convinced that God used those young people to discover their purpose to lay the foundation for a church that's still going in Minneapolis today. When you discover Jesus more deeply and you discover yourself, it doesn't matter how old you are or where you are in life right now, God might use you to lay the groundwork for right-side-up transformation in an upside-down, broken, bizarro world. You know, one of the things that disturbs me today is too many Christians kind of stand back on the sidelines and commentate on what's going on in a broken, sinful world. Look at those people. Why are they doing that? Oh, my gosh. Our whole world is just going to hell. Oh, my goodness. Look at that. Look what they're doing to our country. Look at those people. Oh, look at them. Is that what we're supposed to do? Just use Twitter and Facebook just to, like make like little snide, judgmental side comments? Or are we supposed to be in the world as salt and light, transforming it, rising up as reconcilers, loving people into new life and truth and justice and transformation, loving them, having compassion for them, having the guts of God in us poured out for the lost and the broken and the sinner and the upside down? Or are we just supposed to tweet about people? I don't know. That's the question. So finally, here's a, um, it says here that um, 19, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their sins or trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So not only is it about a submission, being controlled by God's love, deeper discovery of Jesus, a deeper discovery of ourselves. It's also a deeper discovery of what is your true 
mission and message. Paul says, we've been given the message, the ministry of reconciliation. What that is, is reconciliation is being connected to God, and then it's being rightly connected to other people. And if there's anything that should help us understand why we live in a broken, upside-down world is because of a, of, of a disconnect between human beings and God and wrong connection with other people. Like part of sin is we're just not rightly connected with God. And another reason why our world is dysfunctional or broken is because we don't know how to connect with each other right. So we have a bunch of bad connections. You ever been on your cell phone and you had a bad connection? And so it's like somebody's trying to say something to you, but you really can't hear them because they're like going in and out. And then you're trying to say something, but you don't know if they can hear. Or sometimes when you have a bad connection, you like, you're, you're like, you hear your own voice talking back to you while you're talking to somebody else on the cell phone. So you hear an echo of you. And so that's how we have bad connections with relationships with human beings. Sometimes we just don't hear each other right. Sometimes we just misinterpret what we're trying to say. Or sometimes we're so busy wanting to hear the echo of our own voice that we don't hear what the other person's trying to say. And so we have a bunch of bad connections. Reconciliation is about right connection with God through Jesus Christ. And then it's people who know Jesus that are rightly connecting with one another. That might be what changes things. Right connections that we rise up. But here's the last thing I want to say to you tonight. Um, we're going to have to do something that's going to be a little uncomfortable. At the beginning of this, it says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all have died. To live as right-side-up people in an upside-down world, we're going to have to be willing to die daily. You might have to ask yourself this weekend, to be the type of person God wants me to be. To be the type of teenager God wants me to be. To be the kind of husband, wife, father, mother, single person, grandparent, neighbor, co-worker, leader in the congregation. To be that person God wants me to be, what do I have to die to? To, to have God's love and truth and justice and grace flow through me more, what do I have to die to? And it, that's hard for me to talk about because I don't really like talking about death. I mean, I don't know about you. I don't like talking about death. But, you know, if God would ask me how I want to die, I mean, I would tell God. I wish God would ask me how I want to die. I'd be like, thank you, God, for asking me. This is how I want to die. I want to turn 100 years old. And on my 100th birthday, because my parents are from the South, I like southern cooking, so like I want to wake up at noon. I mean, why wake up early? It's my last day. I'm going to sleep in. <laughs> I ain't going to wake up at no 6 in the morning. I'm on day. I'm going to die. Sleep in till noon. That's right. And then when I wake up at noon, I want a southern meal that consists of fried catfish, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, yams. I want a tall glass of sweet tea. And when I get done eating that, I want a bowl of warm peach cobbler with three scoops of vanilla bean ice cream melting over the side of the bowl and then I want to fall into a deep sleep and die and wake up in heaven. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. That's how I want to die. Just like that. 
That's right. The problem is God won't ask me. <laughs> like, but you know what God does do? God doesn't ask me how I want to die, but God invites me to die to myself daily so that I can be the father that God would want me to be, so I can be the husband God would want me to be, so I can be the servant leader that God wants me to be, so I can pay more attention to what God wants to do in my life. I have to die. I have to let God, like, kill stuff in me, my pride, my arrogance, my selfishness, my, my making it about me all the time. What about me? Hey. Like, I need to let God kill that. Like, just take stuff in me that's not needed. Um, I am learning to, like, just go, okay, God, whatever you want to kill in me, just don't make it too painful. Oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? Because who wants pain, right? But sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful. Like, God is killing me softly with his love, killing me softly with his love. You know, um, some of y'all young people, you, you wouldn't notice, but in the 1970s, there was this singer, her name was Roberta Flack, and she had this song out, Killing Me Softly. And basically the song was about this woman who she was very heavy-hearted, she was not, maybe for whatever reason, she wasn't doing well in her life, and so the song basically, I mean, I know this is supposed to be church, but like the song is she goes into this club or this bar, and, she, and she's like depressed and down and there's a guy on stage singing. And she's like, it's like he was singing to me. Like the guy doesn't know me, but it's like the song he was singing, it was like singing my whole life. And it was killing me. I mean, like it, was, it was painful, but then it was like healing too. It was killing me. And, and maybe that's what God wants to do with us this weekend. God wants to speak to us. God wants to sing to us. And God wants to kill some stuff in us that's not needed so we can rise up as God's people in this upside-down world. Maybe we need that song, Killing Me Softly, to be God's song in our life. Strumming my pain with his fingers, telling my life with his words, killing me softly with his love, killing me softly with his words. Telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. They're like, why can't we sing Taylor Swift? All right, no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. You're like, you're like, what about Ursher? No. <laughs> All right. God, I pray this weekend that indeed we let you sing to us, speak to us, step into our hearts, step into our minds, that we might experience what it means to be more like you. So God, let this be a retreat. Let us find rest. Let us find joy. Let us find you more deeply. In Jesus' name. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church Podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.